Well, I invite you once again this morning to turn with me to the book of Luke. This is where we were last week in uh, Luke's gospel account. This morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to chapter 7 in Luke. We are in our sixth week, if you can believe that, our sixth week of this mini-series called Feasting with Jesus, where we have been meditating on all the various places and all the various ways that Jesus has revealed himself. And I trust and I hope that it's been a wonderful season of rejoicing and resting in the grace of God as revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus our Savior. That has been the common denominator in all these accounts, hasn't it been? Grace, and I hope that's been clear. Grace, because of the priceless, sacrificial Lamb of God. Grace at the feet of Jesus and the invitation to intimacy that we saw through Mary. Grace at the feast of the King. Grace that brings joy to life as Jesus turned water to wine for the joy of a wedding party. And grace, as we looked last week, that results in radical generosity. We were in the book of Luke last week. We've turned back the clock this week uh, to earlier in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Last week, we were closer to the end of his time here on earth. Uh, But this passage this morning is is much earlier in Jesus' ministry, and I suspect for those of you who have been uh, with us for this series that you'll feel something familiar here. You'll feel like, wait a second, I think I've heard this story before. Didn't we go over this story four weeks ago even? No, we haven't. This is an altogether different account than Mary anointing Jesus before his passion that led him to a cross. This is a different place. This is a different audience. This is a different, though similar, actions. And most importantly, this is a different message of grace. If grace is that diamond, this is just a a different angle that we gaze into the beauty of who Jesus is. And so I invite you to give your attention to God's word as I read our passage this morning, Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36, and I'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 50. Listen as I read. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, that is Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, 
One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'd like to direct your thoughts this morning, but more importantly, your hearts, to two truths that this passage teaches us and challenges us with this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus knows your mess. Jesus knows your mess. I want to begin with a, with a question. The question is this, would you have married me if you knew I was going to be like this? Maybe some of you who are married here have lightheartedly said that to your spouse at some point. Ann and I married 25 years this summer. We were on a walk this past week and we were discussing all the ways that we have changed since we were 21-year-old kids saying I do. And frankly, some of those ways that we've changed aren't all that pretty. You see, neither of us knew precisely what we were getting into, which is why sometimes we jest. Would you have married me if you knew that I was going to be like this? And yet, despite all that, I'd choose her again even knowing what I know now. And that's why marriage is a glimpse, a dim reflection of Jesus' love for his own, for his church. Because it's not just that Jesus knows your mess. Oh, he knows a lot of your mess. He knows all of your mess. That's why I wanted to set our hearts at the very outset of this service on Psalm 139. Search me, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. Jesus knows all of your mess. And yet, he still forgives you. He still loves you. And that is the beautiful truth that we learn and that we see here this morning. The setting for this account and this shocking encounter, it's an interesting setting because Jesus is in the home of of a Pharisee. Simon is the Pharisee's name and that is not to be confused with with Simon Peter who was his disciple. 
This is Simon the Pharisee. Now, Jesus knew uh, the opposition of the religious leaders to him and to his ministry. He had already begun to establish himself, though it's early on in his ministry, he's begun to establish himself as a threat to their ministry. At least that's their viewpoint of Jesus. And yet here is Jesus still making himself available to a Pharisee. Last week he was in the home of a tax collector. This week he's in the home of a Pharisee. And I really wish we knew more about the intentions of Simon the Pharisee. I'd like to believe that he is, he's a Nicodemus of sorts. He's someone who's genuinely interested in, in learning more, in getting to the bottom of who this Jesus really is. But we just don't know. What we do know is that for whatever reason, as Simon has invited Jesus into his home, we know that Simon didn't show Jesus any of the common courtesies typical in that time and place. And we'll return to that in just a moment. This is an ancient Near Eastern dinner party. Guests would have come in, they would have sat down at the table, they would have reclined at the table on on the ground, leaning on the table with their legs extended out from the table, kind of like like spokes on a wheel. That's kind of how it went. Food was being served, presumably questions were being asked, answers were being given, and it was all just a normal dinner party until at some point attention turned to a woman. We don't know her name. Apparently, her reputation precedes her, though. Luke simply describes her as a woman of the city, a sinner. In fact, three times it is noted that she is a sinner. Many have concluded that she probably is a prostitute. And while we don't know that for certain, Commentators go back and forth. The the alabaster flask that she has leads us to believe that she probably is a prostitute because often worn around the neck, this perfumed and expensive ointment was, was a tool of the trade of sorts for women who sold themselves to men. And the question is, where where did this woman come from? I mean, here we're in a Pharisee's home. Why is she there? Well, different than our gatherings, our dinner parties, which are under lock and key, this was likely a semi-public gathering. It was common in the day with people kind of milling around in the outer courts, coming in and out, even beggars possibly sitting against the wall, hoping that they maybe can gain some scraps from the meal. And so this woman heard that Jesus was going to be there, and so she showed up. And she gains everyone's attention, not necessarily by how she looks or what she says. We don't even have any recorded words from her, but she gains attention by what she does. We'll get to that in a minute, too. For now, I want us to simply reflect on the fact that Jesus knows her. In fact, Jesus knows her deeper than anyone in that room knows her. 
And yet not only does he allow her actions to go unhindered, but he says in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. You see, in verse 39 of, of our account, he is being accused of not knowing her. Because if he did, according to the Pharisees' mindset, he would have rebuked her. Simon knows who she is. And for Simon, her past condemns her. After all, God cares for those who keep his law, and so should we. And Jesus, by his actions, Simon thinks he's communicating that he doesn't know her. Jesus knows her. But Jesus is blowing it all up. For this evening and for all of time, despite what you've done, despite where you failed, despite our unsuccessful attempts to hide who we really are, Jesus knows and Jesus forgives. Friends, you've been found out. There's no hiding, but that's not scary like it should be. Because as you run to the one who knows you, forgiveness for all of it is yours. This is the good news. Jesus knows your mess. He knows your past. And as you recognize who he is, he forgives you anyway. Brothers and sisters, this is extravagant grace. And that brings us to the second truth that I want us to focus our hearts on, and it's this. Extravagant grace produces ridiculous love. Extravagant grace produces ridiculous love. Let's get back to the actions of of the woman. They only take up one verse in this account, and yet it's the most striking of verses dominated in detail. You see, this woman isn't there to investigate Jesus like Simon seems to be. She was there to love Jesus. We say, why is she there to love Jesus? Because she had already experienced the extravagant grace of Jesus. We don't know how, we don't know when, whether she merely listened to his words from afar and her heart became gripped. Maybe she interacted with him more closely. Somehow this woman had been gripped by grace and she was here at this party overflowing with gratitude and reverence and honor and awe for a love that she had never experienced before in her life. And that makes this scene amazing even awkward, <laughs> right? She slipped into this dinner party hosted by a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day who would have scorned her and looked down upon her. I mean, let's just stop right there. How courageous does this woman have to be just to even be there? And now Luke tells us that she's at Jesus' feet. Now remember, all the traditional formalities of Jesus coming into Simon's house had been ignored. Even when we have people over to our houses for, for a meal, we invite them in. Can I take your coat? Have a seat. Can I get you something to drink? And in that day, it was 
Let me give you a kiss on the cheek. Let me give you some water and some, some oil to wash your feet and to wash your hands. But, but Jesus comes to this dinner party and for whatever reason, he gets nothing. And so here this courageous, broken woman of ill repute lays all concerns aside and shows Jesus the honor that he was due. The water is replaced by her tears. Friends, she wasn't just just whimpering. Her tears are described here with the same word that is used to describe rain showers. This woman was sobbing. Olive oil is replaced by precious ointment from, from her flask. A cleansing cloth to wipe his feet is replaced by her hair. Now in that time and place, a woman letting her hair down in public was, was scandalous. That was something that you did on your wedding night, or in her case, something you did when you were giving yourself away, and here she is at this dinner party letting her hair down and wiping Jesus' feet. She doesn't care. This is self-abasing, Christ-exalting, ridiculous love. And Simon and probably others are uncomfortable The tears, the sobs, the smells, the the kisses, the the drama. This was all too much for this prim and proper teacher of the law. And notice Luke doesn't say that he talks to Jesus. He, He says this to himself. But Jesus knows because Jesus knows Simon too. Jesus wants Simon to see himself in the actions of this woman. And so Jesus questioned as to whether he is a prophet, a legitimate prophet, does the most prophet-like thing. He follows in the steps of Nathan, if you know some of your Old Testament, and Nathan in that story he told to David to bring David to a realization of who he was. Jesus tells Simon a simple story a mini parable that sits at the center of this account that illustrates not only the woman's actions, but Simon's inaction. Super simple. Two debtors. They went from hopelessness to life. One had been in debt with two years of wages. The other's debt was two months of wages. Both are forgiven. Which one loves more? Extravagant grace produces ridiculous love. The answer is (laughs) easy. The takeaway is clear. Simon may have expressed some, some intellectual curiosity about who Jesus was, his His head may have been fully engaged, but his heart was far from the Messiah. He was content to keep Jesus at a distance. It started when Jesus walked in the door by how he was received or how he wasn't received. 
Simon's lack of love, his lack of understanding of who he was hosting was clear. You see, not only does Simon not know who Jesus is, not fully understand who Jesus is, but he doesn't see himself. He doesn't see his own need. You see, the application is not to sin more in order that we might be in a position to love more. It is to know our sin better, to understand the depth of it more and the height of Christ's mercy and grace towards us. To make an analogy, this this woman is the lost son who has come home. And Simon's the older brother, disgusted. Both achieve the father's love in the same way, not through keeping their noses clean, but through simply being sons. If you're like me, we, we all have Simon days, <laughs> and we all have sinful woman days, don't we? Whatever the day, the Father is ready to receive us. We've just got to be willing to run to him. We've got to be willing to allow him to embrace us in mercy. And then once we've received that embrace of extraordinary grace, we we love him in ridiculous ways. Jesus didn't reject her love offering. He didn't tell her to go to the temple because she was at the temple, in a sense. Because he was God and, and he is worthy. There's a story from the end of the Civil War on April 4th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln was, was visiting the still-burning capital of the South and a local slave saw him, came running up and with tears in his eyes fell at his feet and began kissing his feet and Lincoln obviously was uncomfortable and immediately directed the man to get up and encouraged him to stand and he said this, that's not right, you must kneel to God only and thank him for liberty. And here the woman's embrace was received because it was appropriately placed. And of course that was the stumbling block while Jesus was on earth is that he claimed to be God. It's the stumbling block still today. He did and received what belonged to God alone, but after this, you know, we just celebrated it and we need to think about it every week. After this, he would definitively prove that he was who he said he was by rising from the dead. He's worthy of everything. Respond to his extravagant grace with ridiculous love. What does that look like for you? I don't, I don't know. Pray the Holy Spirit searches you and leads you. What are you allowing to get between you and your love for Jesus? That's maybe another way to think about it.
But those aren't the only applications to this account of Jesus. Certainly love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, but also love your neighbor as yourself. Remember I said sometimes we have those sinful woman days where we just, man, we, we feel it. We feel the depth of our sin. We feel our need of God's grace. And we're humbled before him and we're, we're ready to respond in ridiculous love, whatever that looks like. But then other days we have these Simon days. And it's during those Simon days that we've got to ask ourselves whether we are those who celebrate grace in the lives of others or are we those who are scandalized by grace in the lives of others? I was reading a book this week and, and this quote was, I think, helpful. One author writes this to the church. He says, whenever we look down on someone for being smelly or disorganized or lazy or emotional or promiscuous or socially inept or bitter, we are like graceless Simon. And if we look down on people for not understanding grace, then we are like graceless Simon. If you're thinking how this applies to someone else, then you're like Simon. Jesus says to us, if you look down on others, you love little because you understand so little of your sin and my grace. Friends, this is a passage not only to marvel at the grace of Jesus, which is what we've been doing these past six weeks but to be burdened, to be involved in the lives of those who need to experience that grace the most. That's the kind of people, that's the kind of church that we are called and need to be. And I pray when all this is over, and our homes and our church is filled once again with the sound of voices, may some of those voices at our dinner table and among us be the most broken. Maybe the Lord will even give us opportunity in these coming weeks of still staying at home to be in the lives of those broken, knowing that we're just as needy as they are. Extravagant grace produces ridiculous love. Ridiculous love for God himself and ridiculous love for those who desperately need him. Brothers and sisters, he knows you. He knows your mess, but he forgives you anyway. Three words end this encounter. And they're words that can truly be ours as we embrace this gospel as we embrace this Jesus. Go in peace. Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this picture that you have given us of brokenness, of grace, of ridiculous love, 
Father, we see ourselves in different ways at different times in this story, and I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would would search our hearts as families discuss, as community groups discuss, as they seek to apply this to their lives and to their hearts, I pray that you would have your way, that you would do your work by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, for the good of your people, and for the glory of your name. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.